suck sour milk from the prince's tits, you guilty Clintons. Marvel at his twelve foot long nipples, which can bend around corners, and even travel down burrows, so that they may be sucked dry by a jackrabbit. The prince's milk is wilted and brackish. It is usually sweet with notes of lavender, but not today, because he was digging for Easter eggs and found a human skeleton. This alarmed him, so the milk from his incredibly long tits is sour. Thank you very much to Hollywood actor Gary Busey for submitting this week's poem. God bless you, Gary, with your interesting face. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. We're on episode number 80, lads. Holy moly, 80 fucking episodes for a podcast which I initially believed to be only four episodes long. It's April and there's a small bit of pollen in the air, I think. Well, it is pollen time, isn't it? This is when the this is when the flowers are fucking each other. So, yeah, there's a bit of pollen in the air and it's making my nose quite sensitive. And I have a, a little pop shield on the front of my microphone that's quite dusty. And it's irritating my nose. So I just felt I should name that in case I sneeze into your ears. I'm in a very... I'm in a good mood this week. Because... Two reasons. I ended last week's podcast by telling you that I was getting my bloods checked and I urge ye to men in particular to be considerate of the same um, getting your bloods checked by a doctor is like it's like an NCT it's just like going to the doctor they take a load of your blood well not a load like fucking few tablespoons full they send it off to a lab and then it kind of checks you for any major illnesses that you might have you know so if it's a great way to find out how how your body's getting on so my bloods came back and i'm incredibly healthy i've got great blood pressure my lungs are great my heart is great my liver is great i'm i got a full clean bill of health so that's it's nice to hear that's that's just lovely to hear you know um having good health i like good health is a real privilege and I treat it as a privilege so because I have good health and there's nothing wrong with me I really use this I, I use it to motivate myself you know I as part of my own mental health regime I just uh, remind myself I've got a clean bill of fucking health I'm, I can do what I want I have the privilege of living my life to the fullest so I fucking will, you know, because some people don't, so I owe it to myself and to people that can't for me to live my life to the fullest. Also, I, there's this vape fluid that I enjoy in my vape, okay, and it's, it's, there's two types that are my favourite, there's Skittles flavoured vape fluid and there's Starburst flavoured vape fluid. So when I'm vaping here in in my studio, it smells incredibly sweet. You know, I like I like those flavors. But there was one company that made Starburst and Skittles flavored vapes, a very very eccentric, weird, small English company, and they stopped making these two flavors about three years ago, and it broke my fucking heart. And 
I was for ages trying loads of different brands to go, you know, doing Skittles and doing Starburst flavour and trying to find one that tasted like this eccentric English company. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. So finally, these cunts started making the flavour again after three years. And I ordered £60 worth of it. That's how much I love this flavour. And that arrived. That arrived. So I'm very happy with that. Um, I'm off to Spain next week for five days of incredibly intense writing. I'm in the middle of writing my book, you know. Which I have to have finished for a May 31st deadline. So I'm lashing into that. So I'm heading off to Spain next week. And what I will do is get up in the morning and travel to various cafes and bars and aim for about 5,000 words a day. But I will have my beautiful Skittle flavors, flavored vape with me. And yeah, I'm just going to get shit-faced for the week. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to cafes and bars on my own with my vape. Maybe a small bit of baldy because it's a little bit legal over there. And just write. I'm just going to fucking write. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. Because as you'll know as well from a podcast this time last year. I went to Spain last year at this time during fucking Easter week to write. And it was kind of a mistake because they take their Easter week very seriously. Everyone dresses up as the Ku Klux Klan and you can't move because there's these crazy fucking Catholic religious processions wandering all around the place and I was practically locked into my apartment. So I'm going after Easter Sunday this week where it's going to be nice and quiet and I can chill out and do tons of writing. Um... Yeah, I did some writing today. Again, just ringing up the doctor and then finding out that I have a clean bill of health. I wasn't worried or anything. I wasn't, like, thinking there's anything wrong with me. It's like I said, I just went for an NCT and it's nice to find out that I'm doing well. So, when I found that out, I it, it, it injected me with a, a spiritual vigour. It made me reflect on, fuck me, I'm really healthy isn't this class let's go and live my life to the fullest so I went to a cafe and wrote an entire short story that's a bit ironic actually most most people if they found out they got a cl- full cl- clean bill of health and they want to live their life they go and climb a mountain I didn't I went to a cafe and wrote a story wrote a story about someone someone who's getting followed by a lot of rats but it was fun nonetheless also I'm making my BBC series which is called Blind by Undestroys. I didn't pick the name. Undestroys isn't even a word. These names get picked by the channel. But, um, yeah, I've seen some... Like, I've been making it now for about six months. It's all kind of shot. It's in the editing stages. Still tipping away on that, but I'm really, really happy with it. I really, really like it. Um, I don't know if you saw the pilot episode. It's on the... I wonder is it still up? It was on the BBC iPlayer for about six months anyway. It was about housing. And I forgot to tell you. And one thing I'm very, very happy with. And something I never ever thought would happen. But the pilot of the series was nominated for... Sorry, long-listed for a BAFTA. Now, long-list means fuck all, really. 
you know the the shortlist is what matters if if you get shortlisted for a BAFTA that means you know you're there with four other fucking TV shows and you might win a BAFTA but I'm happy with long list getting long listed for a fucking BAFTA like out of a load of BBC shows so I was thrilled with that fucking long listed long lists don't get mentioned or announced but it doesn't matter that's a million times more than I was expecting fucking long listed for a BAFTA so class so really I don't know when it's going to be out sometime in the next six months but should I let you know and it'll definitely be on the BBC player so you can only see it if you're in in the UK we'll say but I don't know if we're lucky they might throw it on TV and if they do that then everyone can see it but I don't know but it will definitely be on the BBC player. Um, Yart. Um, also this week, if you've been looking at the news, you'll see that Notre Dame Cathedral went on fire in Paris. Uh, obviously, you know, very, very sad. That's an awful, awful shame to lose a piece of history like that. That was built in the 11th century, I believe. Um, yeah, that's shit news for... Such a beautiful, wonderful cathedral with all that history and, you know, architecture gone. But I'll be honest, when, you know, I went onto Twitter, I, I get, I get my, when, when, when there's breaking news, I, I prefer to get it from Twitter because you get it on the ground. I logged into Twitter and I saw that Paris was trending. And when I clicked on it and saw that it was just the cathedral on fire, I was fucking relieved. I was nearly happy. I was like... Oh fuck, Paris is trending. Bollocks. Because I'm thinking back to 2015. I'm thinking to the Charlie Hebdo attacks. I'm thinking about the fucking Bataclan. You know, those poor people at the Eagle of Death Metal, fucking Eagles of Death Metal concert. Shot dead by a bunch of lunatics. Murdered at a concert. So that's what's in my head and I see Paris is trending. I'm shitting it, going off for fuck's sake, is this another massive loss of human life? Is there going to be more bombings in Syria as retaliation and all of this? And I clicked and I saw that the cathedral was on fire. And I was relieved. You know, it's not nice to lose that, but it's like, I'm glad that's the reason Paris was trending and not a massive loss of human life. But one thing that struck me as so, just so odd, is... It's like it's like the internet. That, like my response seemed to be quite unique, you know. My response of I'm relieved to see that Paris is trending and it is not not because of the loss of human life. That seemed to be quite a unique response on the internet because people were tweeting like "Pray for Paris" over a building. You know, there was people gathered around in a vigil, singing songs. This huge outpouring of performative grief all over the internet. And it's like, because a cathedral burnt down. And I get it, okay. Like, I I love art, lads. Jesus, I've done podcasts on fucking on art. You know how much I love art and how I love history. So, of course, I'm sad to see this happen, but I'm an appropriate level of sad. I'm, I'm not grieving. Twitter, worldwide Twitter, appeared to be locked in 
a collective performative grief which was akin to a mass loss of human life and I don't think the the hive mind that is Twitter was fully emotionally engaging how do I explain it it's it's like Twitter as a whole couldn't tell the difference between a building going on fire and a lot of people actually dying the level of grief was equivalent to a mass murder and I found this really strange and it's one of these things I'm noticing recently with how emotions play out on a platform like Twitter which is Twitter's incredibly inauthentic like the more and more I use Twitter, the more I realise that it's a video game. Tw- Twitter is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, like World of Warcraft, where we all create our little avatars, which are hyper-real, exaggerated aspects of our personality, where we say and do and behave in ways that we simply wouldn't in real life and that's what Twitter is it's a fucking video game and it's not an appropriate forum whatsoever for any type of discussion about serious things that require nuance and empathy to discuss I'm realising that more and more but I was so shocked yeah I was shocked at at just pray for fucking Paris being rolled out for a building um, and then on, on the other side of the coin to show how bizarre it was a week ago this meme went viral it's called the tough guy meme you'd have seen it if you're on twitter or if you're on I'd say it was on facebook too and it's a meme of a guy in a black tracksuit with a kind of nervous hard man face on him and he walks from the left of camera to the centre and he's kind of posturing himself in this hard way and then it zooms in on his face and his face has this slightly ridiculous expression where it's he looks angry but is also kind of frightened and this became the tough guy meme and it was shared everywhere all over the gaff and who he actually is is he's one of the people who who sheltered the ISIS lads who carried out the Bataclan attack he this this was him in court because he had assisted fucking murderers and still people were memeing him as if as as if he he was just a gas character it's like there was no empathic connection with hold on a second this this lad assisted ISIS what why are we making this into a funny meme some people didn't know some people hadn't a clue but others did know and they did it anyway and I wasn't offended by it I don't give a fuck I mean it's just a joke about a lad in a tracksuit who gives a shit but what interested me was it just showed me the complete emotional disconnect that exists on Twitter how all emotional displays most emotional displays on twitter are highly bizarre and performative and not actually related to true human feeling and in the space of two weeks yeah you've got a hilarious meme about somebody who harbored mass murderers and then an outpouring of grief and distress that's 
on a scale with a mass murder, but about a, bur- a burning cathedral. I just found it insane. And then you have all these people... There was something like 300 million raised to rebuild the cathedral. I found that really odd too, because it's like... Can the church not pay for it? No, if they've not got loads of money. Or what about France? France have loads of money. What, why are you donating to a, a burning church? Not complaining about that happening. It's just like... That 300 million would be... Of much better use to people in need... Rather than a church that will have no issue whatsoever... Securing those funds. Either from the church organisation... Or from the French government. I just found it all mad really strange um, it's shit and it's tragic to lose such a significant historical building but it's it, it's in no way equivalent to even one human life it just isn't you know and I'm really glad that no one was hurt in it and then the takes all the bad takes about it on Twitter first off you've got the racist assholes who were just searching for reasons to see how it wasn't a natural fire, but rather a deliberate attack by by Muslims. You know, the even is people even doctored footage of of the church burning and put superimposed audio of people saying Allahu Akbar over it just to rile up some good good old racism and Islamophobia. So there's these awful takes of people going, it was burnt down by the Muslims who were being told to burn it down by the Jews. And the Jews are actually interdimensional shape-shifting lizards. And the reason the Jews would ask the Muslims to burn it down is because the Jews are obsessed with ritual. Because they're actually shape-shifting lizards from another dimension who want to control the world through ritual. You know, and you had people making those type of bizarre takes about it. Claiming that... uh, you know, why would... When I say the Jews, I'm saying it in inverted commas. I'm not going to refer to Jewish people as the Jews. That's just what racists call them. But, you know, why do they think that the Jews, inverted commas, or the interdimensional shape-shifting lizards want this? It's like, because they are... Because they're a lizardic people. Lizardic, is that a word? Because they're a reptilian uh, aliens. They're obsessed with uh, ritual. So they need to have broad symbolism, such as this iconic Christian church burning down. And the reason they want this is that it's an overall symbol to Europe that uh, Christianity is finally falling. And we can now get ready for the forced migration of Islamic people and people from Africa into Europe. And that's why the interdimensional shape-shifting lizards had the Muslims burn down the church as a symbol to let us all know Christianity's over and mass immigration is actually a giant scam to let I don't even know and I didn't I, th- I think then we all end up as slaves to lizards that come from another dimension so there was a lot of people on with that shit that's there's people who believe that lads holy fuck and then you had other less extreme opinions, but equally, not equally, but in the same ballpark of batshit terrible. You had pro-Brexit lunatics 
saying that it was like a, a sign from God that, that the Notre Dame Cathedral burning down, what it actually is, was like a sign from God that shows how mighty and powerful Britain leaving the EU is. And that Britain leaving the EU is so powerful that God decided to burn down the church to for, for almighty Britain in the face of her colonial enemy France. Like, fuck off, you silly, silly people. And then what else was it? Other less batshit but still unsavoury opinions were the gargoyles had recently been removed from the church apparently and because these gargoyles had been removed that then the church went on fire because gargoyles are traditionally placed on churches to protect, protect them so a mad week a mad week that had me very confused once again at internet culture and how it is so at times completely inhuman it, it, when the collective minds of millions of people get together on, on an internet platform. It, it, it doesn't resemble anything human or rational. Now, the other thing, too, is that, you know, a platform like Twitter, it definitely tends to favour the, the loudest and most contrarian voices. So the loudest and most contrarian voices tend to rise to the top. But having said that, you know, online spaces like that are... They're also incredibly use, useful. They give they give voices to people who previously had marginalised voices. There's there's many many huge positives, but occasionally it can just get really confusing and nasty bad opinions rise to the top. What one of the episodes on my BBC series will deal with this specifically the chaos and irrationality that the internet brings to human life. So what I'd like to deal with this week, what I'd like to speak about is, um, there is a podcast I did on the, sort of around back in July, and it's a very, very popular podcast. Um, it's called Creaking Ditch Pigeon. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. During the summer, for some reason, the podcast listenership goes down a lot. I think it happens for all podcasts. We seem to just not want to listen to podcasts as much when the days are longer and when it's sunny, which is fair enough because podcasts, I think it, there's a degree of escapism in it. You know, a podcast is lovely when you're on a packed train and the weather is shit, but if you're walking to work and it's lovely and sunny, fair play to you if you just want to fucking enjoy it in the here and now. Fair play. And this does seem to reflect in podcast figures over the summer. I lose about... 25% of listeners and then they start to come back around September but if you didn't hear Creaking Ditch Pigeon go back and listen to it because it is it's a, a mental health themed podcast that deals with a, a school of psychology called Transactional Analysis and I think this week I'd like to do kind of I'd like to expand upon it or do a little bit of a part two about Transactional Analysis Um because I think I ended that podcast with saying I was going to do a part two and I didn't um, so after the Ocarina pause I'll give you a, a very basic simple introduction to what transaction analysis is and then expand upon it but if you really want to learn properly go back to the podcast Creaking Ditch Pigeon okay so we're what do we know 
23 minutes, so I think it's time for an ocarina pause. I was given... I have several fucking ocarinas in front of me. I keep getting given ocarinas at gigs. I was in... Oh, lads. Oh, for fuck's sake. I was in Belfast this weekend. Had a wonderful live podcast. It was great crack. And I got handed an ocarina by a member of the audience. And as you'll know from recent podcasts... The original ocarina is is lost. I I think I left it in London. So I've been having trouble recently with various ocarinas. I have one that's very bassy. It doesn't have melody. But I was given an ocarina at the weekend in Belfast. And this is the closest to the original ocarina. The Spanish clay whistle. And it's a beautiful blue ceramic ocarina. It's got four holes... And it has a lovely woven leather lanyard. It's a really good, high-quality ocarina. Thank you to whoever gave me this. So, let's do the ocarina pause. The ocarina pause is, occasionally there's adverts inserted into this podcast. Digital adverts that are placed there by Acast. When they come out of nowhere, it can be shocking or frightening. So I play a Spanish, or sorry, a South American clay whistle to act as a little peaceful warning so this is this is the Belfast Ocarina lads hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, that is some good tack, lads. That is a lovely sounding ocarina. It has the same pitch as the original ocarina that I got from Spain. My original Spanish ocarina was made of pure clay. It was red and it was that dry handmade clay. And I think because of that there was a dullness in its frequency. But this ocarina... It is made of clay, but it's ceramic. It's been in a kiln. It has a glaze on it. It's shiny. And I think what this has done to the acoustics of the ocarina is that it's given it a brightness in a certain... There's there's a frequency. What is the fucking name of the bastard in frequency? 
I can't think of the name of the frequency, but it's it's the run. If you look at an equaliser, I'm gone too fucking nerdy now with sound. There's a brightness to this ocarina because of its ceramic, glazed, killing-fired body that gives it a vibrancy that the original ocarina didn't have, and I think I'm happy with that, all right? So thank you to the person who gave me this ocarina. So this podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page. If you like the podcast, if you're listening regularly, um, please consider becoming a patron. It's, it's how I earn money off the podcast. It helps me to earn a living. It's changing my life. I'm so fucking grateful for every single person that is a patron of this podcast. Thank you so much. If you're listening, you can listen to it for free if you want. That's fine. Um, there's no perks for being a patron other than you know that you're supporting the podcast. Um, some people can afford it, some people can't. What I would suggest is if you can afford to give me the price of a pint or the price of a cup of coffee once a month, please do. Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. Please become a patron. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, also, if you're on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review of the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, follow the podcast, all right? And as always, tell a friend, tell a, especially if you're living, if you're not in Ireland, tell a friend about this podcast that you enjoy it. Um, I haven't advertised any live gigs because I don't have my list of gigs in front of me. So if you're a promoter, sorry, I don't have the list of gigs off the top of my head. Cork Opera House, 27th of April, that's the next one. Very small, and maybe 50 tickets left for that. And then I think at the very start of May, I'm in Letterkenny in the, is it the Glen Eagle Hotel? I could be wrong with the hotel, I think that is the venue, but I'm in Letterkenny, live Blind by, blind by Podcast. Type it into Google at the start of May. Looking forward to that. All right. Right, so uh, transaction and analysis. I'm going to give you just a really brief kind of refresher in transaction analysis. Um, just to remind you, if you want it in big detail, go back to Creaking Ditch Pigeon, that podcast. I speak at length about transaction analysis and, and the basics of it. So transaction analysis is its a school of psychology. It's a school of psychotherapy. It's, it's a theory about human personality. And it's a f- also a, f- a form of psychotherapy based on the theory that theory of human personality that allows us to to grow and to change as humans. Transaction analysis would be something that I would have used on myself quite a bit um, in my own mental health journey. Um, it's it's a psychodynamic theory. Which, when you hear the word psychodynamic, what that means is that it's it's rooted in psychoanalysis, which is the essentially the theories of Sigmund Freud. Now, Freud was knocking around more than a hundred years ago. Ninety percent of what Sigmund Freud spoke about is now considered utter bullshit. He got it wrong. Uh, he, you know, he comes from a time that was quite misogynistic. A huge amount of Freud's work is now completely discredited. But 10% of what Freud did contribute has become the backbone of modern uh, psychology as such. 
uh, in particular how the personality develops from childhood. So transaction analysis is a psychodynamic kind of way of looking at how our personalities develop and how we interact with other humans. It analyzes transactions. A transaction within psychology is when two people speak to each other, how they communicate verbally and through body language, that is a transaction. Hello, I am okay. Or how are you getting on? I'm grand. Those are transactions. Specifically, what transactional analysis posits is how we interact with one another depends on we shift between what are known as three different ego states so within us at all times we have the child ego state the parent ego state and the adult ego state and we carry these around with us all day in how we communicate with other people the child ego state and the parent ego state are somewhat unhelpful these ego states when we behave from these ego states that can land us in trouble or it can land us in personal discomfort or stress what is the child ego state well quite simply it's a way of dealing with other human beings that is rooted in our childhood so children you know, a, a child is not an emotionally developed adult, so children wouldn't have a huge amount of empathy. Children require approval. Children need to be told that they're good. When a child experiences an uncomfortable emotion, they may throw a tantrum or they may cry. So if we interact with another human and we're in a child ego state or if, if you are in a child ego state a lot of your day that's not going to work very well for you as a grown as a grown adult is it um but yet we do it if if in situations of distress we find ourselves throwing a tantrum or having an emotional outburst or crying there's nothing wrong with tears crying but crying as a uh, as a weapon or as a way to receive attention these are unhelpful ways to live our lives that can cause us discomfort similarly and your child ego state is actually rooted in childhood experiences and can be triggered by things that remind you of childhood there's also the parent ego state the parent ego state is it's ways of communicating with another person or behaving that are rooted in a parental figure that you saw as a child it doesn't have to be your actual parent it can be an older sibling it can be a teacher it can be whoever but if you you know how a parent is a parent is authoritative a parent is very corrective of other people a parent can be nurturing of another person as well but not necessarily in a good way so when we enter our parent state that's when if someone does something that we disapprove of we start totting at them or telling them what to do 
are being very judgmental of them. You know, not necessarily empathic, but being quite judgmental of someone. Similarly, in a toxic way, you could be nurturing in the par- in the way a parent is. So if you are in a relationship with someone and... I don't know if 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 their thing is you know the parent and child ego states are complementary they complement each other so if someone enters the child ego state and they decide to throw a tantrum the other person they're communicating with can either respond as a child and also throw a tantrum but most often what they'll do is the other person will respond from their parent so what person A throws a tantrum then person B responds by either totting at the child throwing a tantrum or they will nurture and go, oh, don't cry, poor you. And in an adult relationship, that's an unhealthy dynamic because now you're trying to have an adult relationship and you have one person throwing a tantrum and another person rubbing their head and saying everything's going to be okay. That, in terms of conflict resolution, that's unhelpful and can lead to stress and anxiety and these things so the one ego state that I haven't mentioned yet in this podcast it's the adult ego state transaction analysis the aim of it is to understand ourselves when we behave like children and when we behave like parents and to try and steer away from that and instead behave as much as possible as adults An adult is somebody who lives in the present moment, in the here and now. A child cares about winning an argument. A child doesn't care about the facts of the argument, doesn't care about the other person's emotions, they simply care about winning. The parent, quite similarly, cares about winning because a parent has authority. An adult doesn't care about winning. An adult cares about things like compromise, things like de-escalating conflict things like what is the best outcome for both of us here a parent or or an, an adult doesn't get excessively emotional um by which i mean unhealthily emotional throwing a tantrum is an unhealthy expression of is an unhealthy emotion passive aggression is an unhealthy type of way a conflict resolution adults don't do this so with transaction analysis we understand where we're we're coming from and we try and shift everything in the here and now to being an adult adults are flexible adults don't hold rigid demands over the situation or the outcome a continual fluid flexible calm way of dealing with all situations in an ever-changing dynamic fashion and If we can live our lives in this adult state as much as possible, then we will have better relationships with people around us. We will command more respect from other people. We'll find ourselves in less conflict and we'll have a significantly significantly lower level of stress. And what it will also do is make us quite confident confident and it'll improve our self-esteem if you're interacting with people from a child point of view if you're talking to your best friend and you have an argument and 
you stamp up and down or you start crying or you hit the wall or you get so angry and emotional that you call them names and say mean things that you don't really mean but it feels right in the moment because you're so angry when we behave like this once the emotion leaves once you're no longer trapped in the triggering anger or shame or whatever it is later on that day when you're in your adult state you can feel embarrassed you you, you kind of go ah oh, fuck it I shouldn't have said all that mean stuff to my friend earlier or I wish I didn't start bawling crying and slam the door or I wish I didn't punch that wall that was uh, that's kind of cringy now that I look back on it so if, if you're in the uh, the child state a lot later on you, you experience a degree of regret and shame around it and this regret and shame around the behaviour that you don't know why you did it this can contribute to a lowered sense of self-esteem. It means that you can you you you're, you can lose confidence because in the morning you had the argument, in the evening you're going, "That was really mean." Uh, now I'm dead embarrassed. I want to apologise to him, but I can't really apologise to him because I'm still hanging on to some of that anger. So I'm just going to avoid them for a week and hope they forget. All of this stuff gradually lowers our self-worth when you behave like an adult and you truly resolve conflict in a flexible compromising way you can you walk away from a situation with another person where there was conflict or where there was a disagreement you walk away from it with a sense of holding your head high with a sense of having had a genuine emotional like if you're arguing with someone and all of a sudden you step up and actually genuinely try and compromise genuinely put yourself in the other person's shoes compassionately ask them you know I hear what you're saying here I, I, I hear your disagreement what's the outcome here where we can both get something good when, when you do that with another person and you make that genuine connection which is based on empathy listening to your own emotions listening to their emotions diffusing conflict making a real connection with someone when you do that that's compassion even if you're arguing even, even if it's a disagreement when you do that that's an expression of compassion you're making a connection with another person that causes us to our, our internal locus of evaluation how, how we evaluate ourselves and how we feel about ourselves when you behave like that as an adult you walk away from the situation feeling quite good and feeling strong and feeling what's the word invincible is wrong because there's a, there's a defensiveness to invincible impervious you feel impervious a child can be hurt a parent can have their rules broken but adult can't have any of things any of these things happen to them because an adult is fluid and an adult deals in the here and now you can't you can't really hurt an adult's feelings you can't hurt a child's feelings and you can break a parent's rules is this making sense to you that was a potential ramble so that's the bones of transaction analysis we interact with people in either a child state 
or a parent state, both of those states are unhealthy and can lead to stress and, and uh, unhealthy relationships. So we're trying to figure out when do you enter parent, what, what is your parent state, what is your child state, when do you enter it, and how can we shift it at all times towards adult. Okay, find your adult. And each of our parent states and child states are unique to us alone. When you enter that child state, you're actually going right back to when you were a child. If you bit your nails when you were a fucking child, you might be 30 fucking six years of age now, you might be 23. But when you enter the child state, you you will actually adopt some of the body language that you had when you were four. Similarly, if you enter the parent state, you will pull facial expressions or shift your body in a way that your parent did or your teacher or however the role plays you you the word script is a huge part of transaction analysis scripts when you're triggered into one of these emotional states you enter a scripted role play that you unconsciously wrote for yourself based on how you behaved as a child or what you observed from the parent figures around you um, so that hopefully I, I that was 15 minutes there of a recap on transaction analysis if you want the full compliment go back to creaking ditch pigeon so this week what I'd like to do is to pick up kind of where we left off on creaking ditch pigeon and explore another area of transaction and analysis so we covered the ego states parent child adult and we also covered scripts um trying to discover what script have i written for myself how can i rewrite it and in that episode it it, it was simple stuff such as whether you know it or not unconsciously you know you could have a script that says i will not be successful you're not aware of it they're not words that are in your head but it bubbles underneath unconsciously so that's one example so a person whose script is i will not be successful how does this manifest it can manifest itself as people who have this particular script they get offered a job the job interview shows up instead of attending the job interview and trying their best they don't show up and the mind rationalizes it as I had a pain in my stomach, I couldn't get there, I wouldn't get the job anyway, but essentially it manifests itself as I will not even try. Because unconsciously there's a script in there that says I'm not meant to be successful. I, I am not meant to succeed. And you can learn that in early childhood. And there's loads of different scripts. And it's up to us to figure out what our script is and then go fucking great i have this script it's been fucking my shit up all along guess what i'm now an adult and because i am an adult i have the power and autonomy to write myself a new fucking script okay i've done that over and over if i didn't lads if if i didn't find transactional analysis and other aspects of psychology to help me with my mental health i would be and i mean this a very, very bitter, angry person 
in a bedroom and I'd be writing nasty things on the internet about other artists. That That's what I would be doing because in me I have a very strong de- desire to create and to express myself but I also as a teenager suffered from quite low self-esteem, a lack of self-belief and I didn't have a belief that I could make it as an artist. I really, really didn't. So my script was you will not succeed and it would manifest itself as severe procrastination a fear of not even trying to create and luckily when I was 19, 20 went through you know dealing with depression, anxiety and everything that can come out of it and discovering something like transaction analysis I found out what my fucking script was and I rewrote it and now when a challenge presents to me and it never really goes away that's the thing so when I get offered something like a new book or I get offered a TV series or a fucking some challenge some creative challenge a little voice bubbles up in my head every time when the offer comes in and the little voice says to me you're not able for this try and find an excuse to get out of it that's what the voice says but because I've identified my script because I know what my script is when that voice comes in I go I know what you are you cunt you're my script telling me that I can't but you know what I've written a new one and my new script says that I don't have a script that says my rewritten script doesn't say that I'm going to succeed okay because that's unrealistic you can't guarantee it what my script for me as an adult now says is I can try my best and I can cope okay so when I get offered to write a new book or when I get offered any anything that scares me or frightens me or a big challenge I don't say to myself I'm going to win I'm going this is going to be brilliant because I can't predict that what I say is no I wouldn't 100% resist the urge to turn this down what I'm going to do is I can try my best and I can and, and anyone can do that everyone has the ability to cope and try their best and it still might fail and that's okay I also reappraise my script around failure I had a script that said if you fail you are a piece of shit if you fail You are the worst type of cunt and you deserve to be ridiculed. That was a script that I had. So I rewrote it and I said, no, failure is an inevitable outcome of trying. If you try, you might fail and that's okay because there will be no success without multiple failures. And that's my new script. And the skill that I have tried to develop over the years is identifying when the negative script comes in spotting it and going fuck you and then I go I can see you over there negative script you're not relevant to me you come from a place of deep irrationality fuck off here's the new script let's open it up and the new script simply says you can cope and you can try your best and you know what if you fail grand that can happen and what it's proven to me over the years too any success I've had is because of multiple failures. I've got a BBC series now, I'm very happy with that, but I also have 
a fucking you know I, I made a, an entire MTV USA series that was so shit it got cancelled in the first episode I made a Channel 4 pilot that didn't get commissioned into a series I have multiple multiple things that didn't work out and didn't go the way they should but from all of those failures come lessons that I learned that I can now use to turn into successes and I'm going to have a load of other fucking failures as well and it's fine that's part of the process but most importantly I'm using my new script I can try I can cope so that's what I want to again creek and ditch pigeon I dealt with that uh, a lot of it but identifying your script what is it writing yourself a new one so you can become the best version of yourself as adult here's the beauty of fucking psychology lads we are not defined by what happened to us as children we are not defined by the rules we learned as children because once you become an adult you can you can learn you can identify everything negative that you learned as a child and as an adult you can go that's no longer relevant to me i'm gonna write a new path for myself we can all do that that's within our power and it's a beautiful thing once you realize it because it opens up freedom freedom can also be kind of frightening but when you embrace it when you embrace the uncertainty and you go i have no real control over what happens to me anything can happen i could get a slap of a car tomorrow i cannot predict the future it's chaos it's irrational but what i do have control over is no matter what happens to me I can control how I react to it. And there's a th- that's a real beautiful tenet to hold. No matter what happens, I can't control what happens, but I can control how I react to it. And there's a great liberation in that freedom in the freedom of that, do you know what I mean? I sound like a fucking cult leader when I get when I go on a mental health ram- ramble. Christ. And <clears throat> there's another thing I do it's it's kind of something I've just developed myself probably based on the years of of you know self development and self improvement but it's it's a way of operating that I call the roller coaster feeling it's 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 something I just notice in in myself that I try and do and what the roller coaster feeling is it's you know when you get on a roller coaster, right? So you're on the fucking roller coaster, you're you're locked in, and then it starts moving. And with a roller coaster, there's there's two types of people. There's the person who gets on the roller coaster, spends the entire time flailing their arms, screaming, terrified, wanting to get off and not can't wait until it finishes. And then there's the person who just goes fuck it this is mad i'm gonna go with it and that's what i try and do with with any high stress situation whether it you know a large body of work or whatever i i treat it like i'm on a roller coaster which is basically i'm strapped in it's moving and i i accept that i i accept this roller coaster is moving I can't get off because if I was to try and get off it would be quite harmful. Okay? So I, I this roller coaster is moving. It's really fucking fast. It's kind of scary. So there's no point in resisting it. And also when you're on a roller coaster 
you, you're on it in the full confidence that you're actually safe. No matter how scary a roller coaster is, you know, you're going loop the loops upside down, fucking 100 miles an hour. Even though your body and mind is telling you, this is fucking terrifying, you shouldn't be doing this, you can actually say to yourself, it's a roller coaster, it's grand, there's health and safety. I'm actually really fucking safe, even though it feels scary. So, I do that with large projects. I do that with a giant book I have to write myself or whatever. I just say to myself, this this is a roller coaster and it feels terrifying and it looks massive and it looks terrifying. But really, I'm actually quite fucking safe and if I just let go if I just let go and go with this roller coaster and enjoy it it's actually not bad at all and you know what at the end it will be calm but if I fight this roller coaster if I flail and panic that will all that will do is make me more stressed and unhappy and Jesus if I try and get off the roller coaster that will actually bring me harm and by get off the roller coaster, what I mean is, for me to get off the roller coaster means giving into my script, my, my negative script that says, you've been given a challenging project or some type of challenge, for me to cop out and hide and to not do it because of fear, that will bring me harm. If I do that, the problem is with these scripts, when you give in to your negative script, that's what lowers your self-esteem. That's what can result in feelings of shame and feelings of depression. Because you feel weakened by this negative script that is... What's the word I'm looking for? When you give in to the negative script, it's it's the path of least resistance. When that job interview comes up and you've butterflies in your tummy and you just the easiest thing to do in the moment the easiest thing to do is to ring up and say sorry I can't make it to the interview or sorry I'm feeling sick that's really really easy in the short term but in the long term will actually bring a lot of pain so that for me is that's what getting off the roller coaster is it's jumping off the roller coaster and falling 20 feet to the ground and ending up with a pair of broken legs so I don't get off the roller coaster I sit with it and I accept this is frightening and exciting but I know I'm safe and I know if I just change my attitude I can actually make it exhilarating and enjoying and at the end it'll be grand um so that's I suppose the roller coaster is a new type of script I've written for myself around stressful situations and I'm not I'm not sucking my own dick. What I'm trying to say is, let's, as I've mentioned before, I used to have full-blown agoraphobia. I used to not be able to leave my house with crippling fucking anxiety. And the idea of being in a crowd would cause me to have a very intense anxiety attack. And just last weekend, I was able to do a live podcast in Belfast with nearly 2,000 people in the audience. And genuinely... I fucking loved every minute of it and I was as at ease as I would have been at home on my couch. So I've gone from two extremes simply by using psychology and rewriting my scripts and the thing the thing with using self-help and psychology too 
when you do these things like use CBT or use transaction analysis, when you do them and and they sh- uh, like not just think about them but actually put them in action in your life in little ways, every time you do it and it works, that's where growth comes from. It doesn't come from reading about it. It's like like with exercise, you know, we can read about lifting weights all day, but unless you actually go to the fucking gym and lift the weights, you're not going to improve your physical health. It's the same with mental health. You have to enact these things, you have to do them in little steps, and each time you do it, you grow and you get stronger until you reach a point where that is the new you. And that's within, within everyone's capability. In the realm of mental health, I'm not talking about mental illness, I never speak about mental illness in this podcast, I don't have any authority or experience to speak about that still people with mental mental illness can use like techniques like TA are often given as psychotherapy for people with mental illness as as a way of coping but I don't speak on mental illness I don't have any frame of reference for it I speak on mental health which is a very different thing so what I want to cover this week in transaction analysis is because transaction analysis is massive I've looked at ego states, we've spoken about scripts, so one other aspect of transaction analysis is known as games or pastimes, which are a script, they can be how scripts manifest themselves, so a script is like an overarching narrative, unconscious negative narrative that we have about how our lives must turn out, so these are played out in what are called games or pastimes. The inventor of transaction analysis, Eric Byrne, his first book on transaction analysis from the 1960s or late 50s was called Games People Play. So here's an example we'll say of a game. The game is called Yes But and it happens, it's it's a child parent transaction. Two adults talking, could be fucking best friends, they could be romantic partners, they could be a boss, whatever the fuck. But essentially, one person presents in the child ego state with a problem. And they go to, we say person A has a problem, and they go to person B with the problem. So person A presents as a child, I have a problem, then person B presents as a parent, um... I'm willing to listen to it and I will solve it for you. And the name of the game is Yes But. So person A says, I've got this issue. They're in their child. Person B in the parent says, Have you tried this? Then person A goes, Yeah, but that wouldn't work because... Then person B goes, What about this? Then person A goes, Yeah, but that wouldn't work because... And this is a complementary transaction, which means it can go on and on and on until it eventually leads to stress or uh, an argument or the elevation of the child or parent ego state. So, you know, that's very frustrating. I have an issue. Have you tried this? Yeah, but that won't work because... You keep going and going and going until it eventually gets more heated... And then the parent usually goes, Ah, for fuck's sake, I'm trying to help you. Piss off. Then person A, who's the child, throws a big tantrum. Person A then 
in their anger and childishness can leave the conversation with some of the advice and suggestions that person B gave them knowing that they won't work they will then go and try these things aware that they're going to fail but with an anger in them where they actually want them to fail so that they can go back to person B and say see I told you that fucking thing you told me to do it didn't work I told you it wasn't going to work and then person B goes well I was only trying to help you and that can go on and on and on and there's people in fucking marriages lads and for 40 years of their marriage that that's that's their life that's their every day one person is child one person is parent and it's a continual I have a problem have you tried this yes but and then a confirmation and it goes over and over again in this toxic cycle and at no point is anyone dealing with the problem like a fucking adult do you know what I mean and it can be stressful for both sides it can be very stressful for both sides and it can affect the confidence the person who's saying yes but essentially they're just avoiding trying you know it's here's a solution well what I'm going to do instead is look at only the potential negative outcomes of that solution and then the person who's given the suggestion feels as if they're either not being listened to or the person even though they're coming for advice thinks that they're a fucking idiot what really needs to happen is probably person A who's in their child state needs to approach it like a fucking adult and ask themselves do I really need to go for advice and what's the most flexible rational way that I can deal with the solution or when the other person is giving them advice to truly take it on board and listen and maybe not retort immediately with yes but and you know why why like what I've just described there sounds insane you know it sounds torturous why do we do this we do it because like I said it's in transaction analysis it's known as a payoff when our negative script is written and like I said the, the negative script is always the path of the path of least resistance even though it results in long term pain to obey your script is the easiest thing to do and it's the path of, path of least, least resistance so if we're not aware of our script we will we're looking for the conclusion that that script says so the yes but person probably has a script of I don't actually want to solve my problem what I really want is to perpetually fail and be upset because that's what my script says and that's the payoff so I must stick to that script because to deviate from it is a level of emotional maturity that I haven't really reached yet that's too adult so I'm going to stick to this continually negative script and wonder why I'm stressed and upset all the time another game that people can play is called see what you made me do this is an odd one and it can happen when when someone's ego state is in what's known as controlling parent so each ego state has two variants so with parent you've got controlling parent and nurturing parent controlling parent is often negative it's trying to control other people it's been very judgmental nurturing parent can can actually be useful that's when 
when appropriate, you can be compassionate and caring for another person. Similarly, similarly with child, you have adaptive child. The adaptive child is insecure, throws tantrums and needs approval. But then you have free child and free child is... Free child is very useful for artists. Free child is playful, fun, um, doesn't care about rules but not in a destructive way. It uh, wants to explore. That's free child. But, you know, it's, it's in encouraging to be looking for natural parent and free child. These are okay things, but not adaptive child and not controlling parents. So someone who is has issues with the ego state of controlling parent, let's just say it is, I don't know, a relationship. And it's, so the lad in the relationship is controlling parent. So what the controlling parent will want is they will, under the guise of another game, which is I'm only trying to help, the person who is controlling parent will consistently delegate themselves for tasks to the point that they might even take too much on board. So a lad who's controlling parent in a relationship, he might decide that he's doing all the cooking. He might decide that he's going to look after all the bills. He might decide that he's going to, anything that breaks, he's going to fix it. But he's not really being asked by the other person to do this. Rather, the type of person I'm only trying to help who has themselves convinced that what they're doing is taking all these things on and all these responsibilities on. But really, it's a controlling parent thing. It's a form of control. And they take all these things on. And because now there's too many of them, it plays into this other script where shit inevitably goes wrong. So if they've taken on the delegation of doing all the cooking and then all the repairing and they're now overwhelmed, what happens is when shit goes wrong, they say, look what you made me do. I do everything around here. Look what you made me do. I've burnt the dinner because I was also fixing the door hinge. Look what you made me do. And then person... Person A then... They can end up throwing a fucking tantrum. Uh, going, well, I never fucking asked you to do any of this. And then person B goes, I do everything around here. Again, it's... A complimentary transaction where person... Person A, who, who has taken everything on board that they weren't asked to do they simply decided I'm going to do all the work around here and then what they are looking for is the ability to use even though they're helping right and they have the, themselves convinced that they're doing a good thing what they really want is to be able to beat other people with their misery and hardship I have so much to do around here you do nothing I'm fucking everything up because you won't do anything. And what needed to happen was a true adult conversation around delegation of tasks and what's appropriate and whether person A is actually capable of taking all this on board. But it's not about flexible reality. It's not about dishes getting cleaned, dinners getting cooked, uh, cupboards being fixed. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with person A reenacting probably what one of their own parents did 
their own parent. In, in that situation, the person becomes a martyr. The person becomes, I do everything and ye don't appreciate it and I'm ignored and you're ungrateful. And this script is then a very negative, that they get that payoff. They'll burn dinners and they'll break cupboards so they get the payoff of being able to say to everyone, I do everything around here, you don't appreciate it, look what you made me do. And that's no crack for anyone and it's not a great way to be living. And it's not an adult, flexible, realistic way of dealing with household chores or anything which would be best dealt with with flexibility and rationality. And if that was the case, everyone in the house would be much less stressed and a lot more confident and there'd be a lot less burnt dinners. Again, this is just, there's many, many games. Those are two examples. And the interesting thing with games is they're quite covert. Games always present themselves as adult interactions. They look like adult interactions. A husband or a wife saying, I'm going to do the cooking, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to look after the bills. That looks like an adult conversation, but the unconscious motivation is in fact one rooted in childhood. Either them being in the child ego state or looking at a parent that they had. Um, another common, ga- common game is called Now I Got You, You Son of a Bitch. Um, these are all American themes, you know. Eric Byrne invented the names of these games, but they still kind of ring true. So, Now I Got You, You Son of a Bitch is a game where somebody initially starts off as adaptive child and ends with controlling parent. So, here's the scenario. Two best friends. Uh, Best friend A approaches the conversation as the adaptive child, which means they want... They're looking for approval and they're looking for a pat on the head and they're quite insecure and they need to place their self-esteem in another person so person a says to person b have i put on weight person b goes no you have not no 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 you're absolutely fantastic you're you're looking great and person a goes no i have haven't i i have just say it just say it i i know i've put on weight i can see it i can see that i'm i've put on a little bit of weight and i'm feeling really shit about it person b no no, you look fucking great. Don't be worrying about that stuff. You look fine. Honestly, you're being paranoid. Person A, no, come on. I looked in the mirror yesterday. I've definitely put on weight. Okay? I, I just, I need you t- to tell me. And then person B, finally, kind of wanting to get out of the conversation and to end it, person B says, okay, um, I looked at you yesterday. I, I noticed a, a little bit of weight uh, around your legs. And then person A switches immediately from, do I, have I put on weight? Right? They've switched from needing the approval to immediately the rage of corrective parent. And they say, now I got you, you son of a bitch. And they go, I fucking knew you thought I was fat. You fucking prick. Your, any opportunity you get, you use it to put me down. You're using it to hurt me. How could you say that about me? How could you say that I was fat? You know how hard that I try to keep off the weight. You absolute prick. You're always like this. And that's really common. And it's really fucking... That's a really odd one. Where... 
essentially what what the person's doing there is it doesn't have to be like the reason i'm saying put on weight is that it's that's a really simple example that's a really really simple example to understand but there's many different different complexities to it it's when the person is aware themselves that there's something about themselves or their own behavior that they're not particularly proud of or that they'd like to change but they're not taking ownership of it and they know this unconsciously so they think they're going to their friend to receive kind of approval or to receive a pat on the head but ultimately what they're looking for is a way to express their anger at themselves so let's just say this person has been trying to lose weight but they haven't been sticking to their exercise regime they've been eating twixes at night time and all these scripty behaviours whereby they're not sticking to the goal when someone does that consistently and consistently disappoints themselves and doesn't stick to the plans that they set out for themselves when you do that consistently you can end up with a ball of anger towards yourself do you know um and that ball of anger doesn't get they don't take ownership of it they don't actually acknowledge or recognize the anger instead they carry it around with themselves and they want to go unconsciously they're saying this anger that i have towards myself because i ha- i haven't been sticking to the diet that i planned and i haven't been sticking to the exercise regime that i planned this self-anger that i have i don't have the emotional maturity right now to take ownership of it and i don't know what to do with this anger so i'm going to set up a situation where i can give this anger to my friend so when the f- they've set the- they've used a script to set the friend up to actually say yeah you've put a bit of weight on and then all that anger they have towards themselves person a has towards themselves they get to unleash that on person b they get to release the anger put it out there but not actually take ownership of it and that's another game that a lot of people play like I said, I've just used weight as one example because it's really fucking simple and easy to understand but it can be anything many many things where unowned anger is projected on another person through a setup through a bizarre unconscious setup and that's really common there's people doing that right now so those are just three examples of games that people play within transaction analysis that once you know the games and you can identify them and if any of them are ringing true with you and if they are ringing true and chances are you're doing them a lot they're creating difficulty with your relationships with other people they're lowering your self-esteem they're causing you to feel a sense of shame that you're you don't know why if you can identify those things as an adult you can go fuck me i didn't know i was doing that brilliant how can i stop and you stop by catching yourself in the moment and going what what is the flexible realistic way to deal with this so for the person there who was playing the i got you now you son of a bitch game that person would simply what they need is self-compassion they need to compassionately say to themselves do you know what i haven't been sticking to my exercise regime that goal that i gave myself where i said i was going to lose a stone i haven't been sticking to it i have been eating twixes i've been doing all these things and 
I'm not particularly proud of them, but you know what? They happened, and that's okay. By taking ownership of it and allowing myself the compassion for having essentially failed at this goal, that's fine. I'll try again, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it, and I'm certainly not going to project that onto another person. So that's an adult. It's very similar to cognitive behavioral therapy. You'd write these things out, you'd journal them on a sheet of paper, and you go, what's the flexible, rational way to deal with this? Because ignoring it and trying to put the anger on someone else is is a rigid position. So there you go. That was this week's sojourn into transaction analysis. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too rambly. I'll be back next week. I'll be over in Spain. Um, Take some of that stuff on board. Most importantly, self-compassion and empathy is the key to any of this stuff, lads. Um, it's, It's all part of a journey. It's all part of a journey. It takes time. But the first step is identifying things in yourself. Here's a little key. Here's a trick. Any of this shit that I'm caught on out today, if you're listening to this and your immediate reaction is to think of people around you and say to yourself, they're like that, they're like that, they're like that. If you're, if at no point you're looking at yourself and saying, do you know what, I'm like that sometimes, that's what you need to flag. It's easy to listen to psychology things and see how other people are wrong, but the most important thing is to identify these things in yourself. They're just normal parts of being human. You know, they're just not being human is complicated. Being human means being fallible. It means having parts of yourself that need to be changed so that you can become the best version of yourself. And it's fine. But try and find it within yourself. Uh, forgive yourself for it and say, I'm going to compassionately work on this with myself so I can become a better person and be happier. And it's fine. It's grand. All right. I'll talk to you next week. God bless.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 